This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, here's a guy with a really cold nose. That's what you said anyway. <laughs> they can take care of you too. Hey, Dr. History, how are you? I'm doing great, Zeb. You never know what kind of an introduction you're going to get on this I program. never know, but I'm... <laughs> Always pleasantly surprised. Sometimes you're not. I know. Okay. But anyhow, uh, what are we going to talk about today? Okay. You know, the last two times we've talked about the Transcontinental Railroad, and I want to kind of continue that theme because there's so much involved with the Transcontinental Railroad. And, and i got to tell you, what do you think I saw on television the very night, last week, Tuesday night, after our discussion? I saw the uh, movie uh, Union Pacific. Oh, all right. And, and really, the movie was, I think, made back in 19... Oh, boy, I'm going to probably make a mistake on this. I'm going to say in the early 40s. Okay. And uh, i got to tell you that everything you had talked about on the show that morning really came to fruition and was brought before my eyes on how they filmed this movie. Boy, it showed these guys really worked. Oh, yeah. And that's we're going to talk about that. But... To the listeners out there, if you ever get a chance to be in southeastern Idaho or northwestern Utah, go over to the Golden Spike Monument. I've been there. An amazing... It uh, is. In the summertime, and I don't know what months they continue to do this, but they bring out the replicas yep. of the train engines, nose-to-nose, and uh, plus the museum and the yeah. videos they have. So if you get a chance, slip down there sometime. So mm-hmm. anyway, today we're going to talk about the Union Pacific, which came across from Omaha. So this is the coming from the east direction. Okay. Now, the Union Pacific and the Central Pacific were the first big business in America. Now, except for the invention of the telegraph, which gave their officials a means of almost instant communication, uh, the railroads had to invent everything. What to build, what to buy, how to order and store necessary items that numbered in the hundreds of thousands, only the government and armies had ever organized on such a scale. You know, it's hard for me to believe back there in an age with no computers, no cell phones, nothing, how efficient they really yeah, were. The telegraph was it. Yeah. But anyway... And the, the Indians kept tearing it down. Right. But where the railroads went, they created stopping points, complete with water tanks, repair facilities, boarding terminals, 
unloading equipment, eating places, hotels, and from these grew the farms and the villages and the cities right. along the railroad. Right. Now, Omaha was the first to benefit. So in 1865, it doubled in size to 15,000 people wow. and grew even more the next year in 1866 and each year after that. But during the summer uh, and fall of 1865, small amounts of materials piled up in Omaha getting ready for the, for the building. But there was employment for everyone willing to work, making bricks or making Union Pacific buildings out of bricks, uh, flat cars, Teamsters, and more, all of this. But the flood of workers meant a severe housing shortage and a growing number of gamblers and etc. But the hotel rooms, the dining rooms were crude. In fact, one Union Pacific employee characterized the town's population as the closest thing to the Foreign Legion. Really? Okay. Wow. In fact, he said there's no good boarding houses in Omaha and that the hotel in which we are staying was crammed full and kept very poorly, and he said the meals were nothing that uh, a man wanted to eat. Oh, that's so, really yeah. is a, quite a, a revelation. <laughs> so, anyway, so west of Omaha, settlement was growing thanks most of all to the prospect of transportation. So you got to know, if people knew that railroad was coming through, they were looking for growth. So, really? And most Americans had accepted uh, as fact that everything west of the Missouri River was the great American desert. And uh, that maybe gives you the connotation that it's worthless, okay? But uh, actually, it was the nation's pasture capable of growing grass that fattened livestock. And in time, the railroad would carry east uh, beef and leather, mutton and wool and more. And... And uh, as we know now, Zeb, some amazing farmland out this way. They must have had some indication, though, they being the bulk of the populace at that time, that evidently the reason for going west was already populated in California, etc., because of all the ships. And you did a story on this going around uh, the Cape, uh, Cape Hope, was it? Uh, Yes, uh, South America. Yeah, and then coming up into L.A., it took like three or four months, you said. And they must have known that a lot of the populace was already there and settled in California yeah. really was a gold mine. And the Willamette, Willamette Valley. Willamette, yeah. Willamette. yeah. Anyway, well, so in, in February of 1866, uh, the Casement brothers, hmm. they were in charge of track laying. One of the brothers was named John uh, Casement. He was 37 years old, and although he was only 5 feet 4 inches tall, he had earned an uh, impressive reputation as a track layer in Ohio. He might have been only 5'4", but he was probably 5'4 wide, Well, let too. me tell you about his brother. <laughs> uh, anyway, they called him General Jack, and he, General Jack, and he could handle anything, and if he couldn't, his brother could. Now, his brother, Dan, 5 feet tall, oh my. was a veteran. Oh, my. Now, according to a diary kept by one of his Union Pacific workers, Dan may have been short and stocky, but once he lifted a 30-foot rail off the ground without any trouble, it weighed 600 pounds. 600 pounds, Eb. Now, Dan was only five feet tall? <laughs> yeah. Oh, So to lift wow. it off the ground wasn't very far. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, so that gives you the nature of some of the people we're talking about. And you don't mess around don't, with Dan. No, or John. But the Indians out on the Great Plains, they posed a great threat, and with the Civil War over and the Union Pacific Building, settlers were moving out into what they regarded as their land. The Homestead Act, giving a quarter section of land to each settler, was 
kind of a magnet for people heading out. Nebraska gained population so fast that in 1867 it became a state much earlier than expected Let me because ask of you population. A dumb question: Did they at the building of the railroad, and when you said they left, uh, what was it, Omaha, mm-hmm. and headed west, and they had various cities spring up along the way, did they offer rail service even if the railroad wasn't completed all the way to drop people off at the various new towns? You know, I don't think so. I think it was mo- ma- mainly they just wanted to get materials to the end of the track. I see. So I don't think they did any passenger service at that I time. I see. Now, west of Columbus, Nebraska, the Sioux and the Cheyenne were the predominant Indians, and they were still pretty hostile, but they despised the Iron Rail, which, along with providing great benefits to the whites, had an additional disadvantage for the Indians in that it split the Great Plains buffalo herd into two parts. Now, because Buffalo would not cross the tracks. Now, that I, when I read that, I wasn't sure about that because you see like movies. Kind of like a cattle guard. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's what they're saying, that they wouldn't cross the tracks. I did not know so, that. And yet you see movies where, right, they, where were, they are. Yeah. Yeah. But the Indians wanted the men who surveyed for it, uh, the men who were building it, and the farmers who were following it, and the travelers who were sure to come on it out of their country. And they had plenty of young men uh, who were ready to follow a war chief on a raid against either the settlements or the surveyors or the graders. And the Union Pacific needed protection from the army, but the army uh, didn't have near enough men to provide protection. So this meant that the Union Pacific's workers were would, in most cases, have to protect themselves. Really? And Grenville Dodge, the guy that was in charge, he ordered that every man have a, have a rifle. And there were veterans, uh, and a lot of veterans working, and they had kept, they would keep their rifles within easy reach, and, uh, you know, that's what they did. But it meant doom, of course, for the Indians' way of life. Uh, no longer could they be free and independent, living off the buffalo herds. They could either follow the way of the Pawnee and live on reservations, cared for by the white men, or get killed. Mm-hmm. And the Indian, in truth, no longer really had a country. He's reduced to starvation or or fighting, and uh, the Indians were a problem, but the weather was another problem. But um, anyway, there was a correspondent, and here's what he uh, wrote uh, for the Cincinnati Gazette. He said, in one sense, the road is as great an achievement and as grand uh, is a grand triumph. He said, go back 20 miles on the road and look at the immense construction trains loaded with ties and rails and all things needed for the work. It is like the grand reserve of an army. Six miles back are other trains and going back with all this equipment. And it's really mind-boggling. I'm going to ask you a question there. You talk about the the, uh, track itself, okay? How did they get all that track? Where did the track, uh, where was it processed and manufactured? Like back in Pennsylvania or where? The actual steel, I, I'm not sure. It had to be back uh, back east somewhere and shipped out. They must have had a whole bunch of that stuff ready oh, to yeah. go. Yeah. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, 
but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. But anyway, going forward to the end of the track, and this is what he wrote. He said, are the boarding cars and a construction train, which answer to the, kind of like the actual battle line, the uh, boarding cars were each 80 feet long, some fitted with berths, others with dining halls, one a kitchen. The construction train carried forward all supplies, tiles, rails, sledgehammers, shovels, rope, uh, more than a thousand rifles and a lot more than that. And he said, actually, it was indeed comparable in many ways to an army moving across the landscape. I can't even imagine how many rails. You know, this is a question. And for actually, you. I do. That's I'm going to get to that. You have that? I think so. Oh my yes. goodness! Yeah. So there were thousands of young men, 500 or more, working on the graders. Then a thousand. Then three thousand. And by 1868, in order to keep well ahead of the track layers, who eventually numbered more than 7,000, the men came to Omaha on their own or in response to a Union Pacific advertisement that promised good pay, good food, lots to work and a free ride and a lot of these guys were Irish in fact uh, they came from all over Europe and the United States and including uh, quite a few of the newly freed African Americans so what did they get paid we're going to get to that too. oh my goodness <laughs> don't get ahead of me Zeb. I'm sorry I didn't read the script <laughs> okay anyway you know what the working men had most in common was their age actually most of them were teenagers or just into their 20s so they were rough tough young men uh, basically yes. yeah. and a lot of them were veterans mm-hmm. too from the Civil War in fact nearly everybody wearing a long blue overcoat with brass buttons the regular US soldiers uh, uniform left over from the Civil War, and with one or two revolvers strapped to their sides, okay, others wore gray coats, and it was, quote, the best organized, best equipped, and best disciplined workforce ever seen. Did they have problems with a north-south attitude? Nope. Uh, Not according to what I've read. They, They worked and worked together. That's odd. That's odd. Yeah. That, that soon after the Civil War. Right. But their food was served on long tables in a dining car. They sat on benches, like at a picnic table. The meals consisted of coffee, potatoes, and boiled meat, usually beef. Uh, They kept a herd of 500 cattle marching along with the advance of the rails. I did not know that. It took about nine bushels of potatoes per meal to feed the men on a dining car. Good butter was kept at hand when possible, and occasionally even ice water, and sometimes there was a variety. In fact, one time a lady came by with a huge basket full of fried chicken, bread and butter, donuts, bottles of milk, and other food, and she was bought out within minutes. I can imagine, <laughs> so, yeah. But And here's what they got. The men got their board and room at a cost of $5 per week. Now, get this, Zeb. The room consisted of a space in one of the flat cars or on top of it after the summer heat started. You don't want to roll. No. The cars were 85 feet long, 10 feet wide, and 8 feet high. So you kind of get a picture of the room we're talking? Yeah. They contained 78 bunks, three tiers high, and capable of sleeping 200 men. 
Oh, don't go there. <laughs> oh, let me keep going, Zeb. You're yeah. going to like this. The graders' beds were, because they were out ahead of the tracks, they were they slept in dugouts uh, or whatever they could find. Uh, the men bathed only when they were near enough to the plat to make it possible, and that wasn't often. Mm-hmm. They almost never washed their pants, shirts, and jackets. Oh, boy. Almost a quarter of them had mustaches. Another quarter had beards. A quarter had full-face hair, and the rest were clean-shaven. Now, the hair on their heads was generally long, down to the shoulders. About half of them seemed to have smoked mainly pipes. I so you see. got a picture of these guys wow. carrying guns. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, kind, of a, kind of a shady, uh, seedy kind of yeah. group. So here we go. They were paid from $2.50 to $4 a day. Now, remember, they paid $5 a week for board and room. Yeah. So anyway, depending on what they did is how they got paid. Now, and only one in four was actually a track layer. Now, some put in the ties or filled around them or handled the rails or spiked them down. Others were graders, teamsters, herdsmen, cooks, bakers, blacksmiths, bridge builders, carpenters, masons, clerks, or telegraph operators. Most had to be taught their jobs, but they were quick learners, and the work was so specialized, they seldom, if ever, made a mistake. Because they did one thing. The best job you mentioned would be a baker. You're by the food all day long. You are, but you're in a hot oven. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Now, uh, how hard work, uh, how hard they worked, it really is astonishing uh, to us in this century. It really is. Uh, except for some of the cooks and bakers, like you just said. There, <laughs> and get this, Ed, there was not a fat man among them. Oh, really? <laughs> now, their hands were tough enough for any job. One never sees gloves in the photographs. Which included pickaxe handling, shoveling, sledgehammers, picking up iron rails, and using other requirement that required hands that had to be like iron. Absolutely. Their west waists were generally thin, but those shoulders, their arms, their legs, I mean, these were guys were bricks. I'm still remembering what you said last week about some guys holding the great big spikes yeah, and then well, the other guy going ahead and pounding it, and I thought, not on your yeah. life. So... Uh, like I say, these were men who could move things, hammer things, sw- swing things, whatever was required. Rain or snow, high winds, burning sun, scorching temperatures all day, every day. And Nebraska can be hotter than heck. <laughs> yeah, me worried there colder for a than, <laughs> Colder than the South easy, Pole. Easy, easy, easy. <laughs> and they kept on working. working. Yeah. They didn't whine. They didn't complain. They didn't quit. They just kept on working. Yeah. So, you know, they'd taken on a job that is accurately described as backbreaking. It was, in addition, uh, a job that experts say could not be done in the time allotted, if ever. But they were building railroad that would tie the country together. What did they do if they got sick or got the flu well, or were injured? I mean, what did they do? They did have a physician mo- most of the time. That would set bones, uh, uh, sew up cuts and wounds, stuff like that. But uh, were they allowed to, like, go take a couple of days? And You know, I, I, it doesn't say that, but I think, you know, if you got sick, I think they would take care of you until you could get back to work. Yeah. So, But, you know, a railroad that, uh, that every American and most all men who were working on it, they were proud of this, uh, the work they were doing. Because really? they were uniting the country. Yeah. So, anyway, a day's routine was something like this. 
Okay, in the morning, the men were up at first light after their, they call it toilet. They went to wash faces and hands in a tin basin. They had a hearty breakfast and went to the job, whether plowing, shoveling, placing ties or rails, spiking them in or putting on the, what they call the fish plates at the junction of two rails. Now at noon, time was called and they had an hour for a heavy dinner. And this included pitchers of steam and coffee, pans of soup, platters heaped with fried meat, roast meat, potatoes, Condensed milk diluted with water. Mm, that sounds Some, really good. Sometimes canned fruit and pies or cakes. Oh. Now, there was little conversation. The men were there to eat, and they made a business of it. They got right to it. Yeah. They didn't mess around. Now, afterward, they sat around their bunks smoking, sewing on buttons, or taking a little nap, then back to work uh, with the boss's curtain. didn't have much time after lunch, though. No. And time was called again an hour before supper to allow some rest. The evening meal was more leisurely. Now, then they went to the bunkhouses for card games and smoke and lots of talk. And, yeah. you know, uh, they talked about higher wages and shorter hours and all that stuff. And then to bed, the whole thing to be repeated the next day. And they did this every day. Every day. And oh. then, uh, actually, in the spring of 1866, this Jack Casement guy offered each man a pound of fresh tobacco for every day that they laid a mile or more of track. And he offered double wages if they did two miles in a in day. A day. Yeah. Really? Did it yeah. happen very often? I don't know. Uh you know, they, uh, they he had these long lines of, of wagons bearing ties and hay. They had wow. to have hay for the horses and the cows and a construction team. The logistics are blowing my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so amazing. Yeah. Uh, the wagons drawn by horses between the track layers and their supplies. And here was where all the work paid off. One wagon took about 40 rails. One wagon, uh, along with the proper proportions of spikes and chairs along the rails to be laid, the horse started off at a full gallop for the end of the track, running between the rails. Okay, so it was pulling a wagon on the rails to get to the end so they could unload the, the, the really? rails and the ties. Yeah. Wow. So a couple of feet from the end, the horse stopped and uh, the rails were laid down. Uh, and they weighed 800 pounds apiece. 600. 600. Yeah. Oh, give or take a couple hundred. <laughs> yeah. So one on each side of the wagon, they were, there were rollers to facilitate running off the iron rails, and parties of men stood on either side. Two men seized the end of a rail with some kind of a tong type thing mm-hmm. and started forward with it, while the other men took hold with their tongs until it was clear of the wagon. And then they all came forward at a run. The at running a run with a 600-pound rail? Yeah. And at the command, somebody would yell down, they dropped the tie or the rail in its place. Wow. <laughs> I'm see, almost out of time. I can see we're out of time, Zeb. So, you know, I I'd like just to have, have another to, story on this next week. We might have to just finish, do some more on this. this there's just so, mu- so much amazing. Can you imagine all the injury prone things that could have happened? I mean, dropping a rail on your foot? But as I mentioned, these guys specialized in one job and one job only. Oh. So I'm sure after a week or two, they got to where they knew what to watch out for yeah. and who they trusted. Really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway. Doctor History and the Continental Railroad, right? Transcontinental, Transcontinental Railroad. Railroad, right This here. is the eastern end we're talking the about. The eastern right end. Uh, we haven't even talked about the western end much. That, must, that might have been a little tougher, wasn't it? The, the, the tunnels. And we talked yeah. a little bit about that yeah, last we did. week. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.